Good evening, Mosaic. And I do mean that. It is a good uh, evening that we get to come together uh, as the body of Christ and worship God and open his word, whether that's here in person. Uh, For those of you who are joining us online, thank you for being with us and prioritizing uh, your relationship with God and your community uh, in this way, that we get to come together um, and, and be together as a, a church community should not be taken for granted. And, uh, and so it's good to be with you guys tonight. Um, I am one of the pastors here. Uh, my name is Joel. Um, some of you have, have been with me before. Uh, for those of you who have, you know you're in for a long night tonight. Uh, just kidding. And for those of you who are, are new with us, it, it shouldn't be too bad. But we've been in the book of Ephesians together, uh, and I am loving this book. Um, it's incredible to me. Uh, just what uh, God has done to give us uh, this incredible book called Ephesians uh, that he wrote uh, to us through the Apostle Paul about 2,000 years ago. Um, This letter, this book that we call Ephesians, was a letter that that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to a church and a region of churches uh, around the city of Ephesus that Paul was very, very familiar with. Um, Paul spent a a couple of years in Ephesus preaching the gospel, and God did so much there that literally uh, the cult of Diana um, or Artemis, if you've heard of uh, either the the Greek or Roman uh, goddess, uh, she was the goddess of the hunt. Uh, There was a huge temple there. It's actually one of the wonders of the ancient world. Um, And and what the gospel did, as Paul proclaimed it, uh, was so, uh, it was just amazing what God did. Uh, through the gospel there, um, that, that literally the, uh, the, the, com- the, the commerce of the city uh, itself was thrown into uh, disarray. So, um, so what God did in the book of, of, of Ephesians is he gives us a, a, a recap of the gospel, a recap of this good news uh, through the Apostle Paul's life that for the Ephesian church would have been a recap. Uh, as they had spent lots of time with the Apostle Paul, this would have been nothing new for them, but that the Apostle Paul wrote to them to speak to them and to remind them of the good news of who Jesus is and what he did, and then instructed them on what to do with that good news. Um, Now, before we go any further, am I crazy, or is this microphone just really doing a lot of feedback? Am I crazy? I'm not crazy. It is feeding back. All right. Uh, can, we, can we get a handle on that? Justin, I love uh, that you know what you're doing when you're pushing buttons. I, have, I would have no clue. I would somehow turn the lights off if I started touching that board. Um, so it wouldn't be good. Um, but man, you know, the, the book of Ephesians, as we, as we have been traveling through uh, the book together. It's been so timely, like how God has used this ancient document, this letter that was written 2,000 years ago to circulate through the region of Ephesus, how incredibly and wildly applicable it is to our lives today. Uh, because in the book of Ephesians, we find two major uh, themes, two what we would call mega themes in the book of Ephesians. One is reconciliation. And this theme of reconciliation has two parts with it. One is that we have been reconciled to God because of the work of Jesus. Uh, And this is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has made us right with God. Uh, And then secondly, that we have been reconciled not just with God, but also with one another. 
um, that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, he brings a diverse community of believers together so that we would no longer relate to one another in the ways that the world relates to other people uh, by class or status or um, you know, talent or uh, any of the other ways that the world would grade uh, each other and relate to each other. Uh, instead, this diverse community of followers of Jesus comes together, and because we're reconciled to God, we're also reconciled to one another. And in that, we've been walking through just this concept of being unified together, that, that God brings us uh, back into relationship with him and, and, and then reconciles our relationships with one another so that we would be unified, though we are diverse, which is a, a very rare and unique thing. I mean, you look at the, the political landscape of our world today, and how divisive everything is. I mean, literally, we find a way to pick a fight about everything uh, that we can, and yet God has given this thing called the church to the world to look in on and say, oh, wait a second, those diverse people are unified, are unified around something called the gospel. I want in on that. And so we have this picture of reconciliation between uh, God and us and between us and one another. And then that second theme, that major theme that we've been seeing, and it's really what we're going to be keying in on tonight, is the theme of renewal. Um, That God is doing a work of renewing what sin has broken down, what sin has degraded and and, uh, destroyed in this world. God is doing a work of renewing what was lost because of sin. And he does that first in us. Uh, first, he works within us to renew us, uh, that, that what was old and what was lost uh, is made new and is found. Uh, the Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul also wrote this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that if anyone is in Christ, that they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so there's this work of renewal that the gospel does. And, and, and that work of renewal is not something that only just stays internal. Uh, But because God is working on us and making us new, when we come together, what we begin to do is we engage with our culture and with the people around us and with our society, and we work to bring the gospel to our society so that it would be renewed uh, to God's intent for creation. In fact, when Paul was in Ephesus preaching the gospel and it was literally changing uh, the economic landscape of the city, that is an example of God using his followers to bring a work of renewal because uh, what, what was going on in the temple of Diana was not pretty. It was not good. Um, and, and, and it was worshiping uh, not only a false god, but also really what the Bible says those false deities were are literally demons. Um, and so these people in Ephesus are bound to this religious expression of, uh, of worshiping these false gods. And, and in comes Paul with the good news of the gospel, and it literally changes the landscape of the city. And so this work of renewal, uh, it begins in us first as God renews us, but then it spills over into our community as God renews each one of us as his church. Uh, it begins to spill over beyond uh, the followers of Jesus in any one community into the culture at large. And we've seen this take place through the centuries, through the church, through the body of Christ, as the gospel has moved forward to the ends of the earth, that it has literally changed the fabric of culture and society. And that work is not finished. Uh, that work is continuing, and that we are invited into that work is amazing. In fact, Paul says uh, in Ephesians uh, earlier on, Ephesians 3, he says that, that God has this plan, and he's unfolding this plan 
among us. And he's using us to unfold this plan. And it's a plan that has been in place since before God even spoke and said, let there be light. And I don't know if you've ever wondered, like, why did God do this thing called the universe? Like, why did God create the world? Why did God create human beings with, like, free moral will that could choose to either obey him or to reject him? Why did God place Adam and Eve in that garden and and place the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there so that they could disobey him and bring sin into the world? Why did that take place? Why did God do all of that? And why did God send his only son, Jesus, to die as a substitution for the sin that we've committed to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be brought back into relationship with him? Like, why did God set it up that way? Couldn't he have created it a little differently so that maybe we would obey? (laughs) Couldn't he have made this a little bit different? The answer is yes, he could have. But Paul tells us in in Ephesians chapter 3 that the reason why God set this all up the way that he did is so that through you and me who know Jesus, that the manifold or the many-faceted wisdom of God, the, the, uh, the unfathomable wisdom of God, would be made known to the entire creation through the church. It's a big deal. Paul gives us a hint as to what God's eternal plan has been all along. He says that, that, that through us, through the church, that the multifaceted wisdom of who God is would be made manifest to the rest of creation. So that as other human beings who are not yet a part of the church look in on the church, they say, oh, that's what God is like and are drawn to him. So that even angels and demons, even people uh, that, that uh, are, are not followers of Jesus, that's huge, right? That, that, that he would use us to bring, bring people uh, to Christ. But beyond people, beyond uh, human beings, that the entire cosmos is able to look in on the church and say, wow, God is among them. And so that is the goal of the gospel in context of the church. And so what, what Paul does in this passage that we're about to step into is after reminding us what the gospel has done for us and saying, now we who were darkness have become light. We who were asleep can now become awake. We who were dead are now alive. That, that, that the gospel has done something so great in us And as the gospel continues its work in us and we go out into the world, God uses us to change the lives of others. And that is an incredible thing. And what Paul is doing in Ephesians chapter 5 is he's going to give us some really practical input to what this begins to look like when we begin to live this new life, this renewed life. And when we do that in the context of community, how powerful that can be. So Ephesians chapter 5, let's go there together. You can grab your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5, and tonight we're going to be starting in uh, verse 15. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15, Paul says it this way. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Paul says, because we are now able to walk in the light, we are now in the light. And because we are now awake, we are now alive. Now we need to look carefully 
how we walk. Now this phrase, how we walk, or how you walk, would have been a very familiar phrase to those uh, Christians in the, in the early New Testament church who were of Jewish descent. Uh, because in the, the Jewish culture, this concept of the way that we walk is, is, is all about uh, the way that we live our life, the way that we do our life, the way that we walk out the life that God has given us. In fact, uh, you'll see throughout the Old Testament that concept of our walk uh, come up over and over and over again. In fact, uh, when Paul says that we watch the way that we walk and we say we should be wise and not unwise, that would have been like ding, ding, ding for everyone who is Jewish in this community because a whole genre of the Hebrew Bible is devoted to this concept of wisdom. It's called wisdom literature. And so the book, uh, any guesses on what book might be uh, wisdom literature in the Old Testament? Anybody? Proverbs, that's, that's the big one, right? And that is one. That is one of the books uh, in, that is classified as wisdom literature. Um, Proverbs is one. Ecclesiastes is one. It's kind of a, a roller coaster of emotion, uh, mostly in a downward uh, spiral, but then it comes up at the end. That's a good thing. Um, and then also the book of Psalms, although the whole book is not classified as wisdom literature, there is wisdom literature within the book of songs, uh, uh, Psalms. And then the book of Song of Songs uh, or Song of Solomon um, is also potentially classified as wisdom literature as well. And really, when you look at wisdom literature and you look and you compare what, what the, uh, the Hebrew wisdom literature looked like compared to the other wisdom literature that was kind of available at that time, the, the Mesopotamian cultures, the Babylonian cultures that were uh, 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 also writing wisdom literature, there's one massive difference between the wisdom literature of the Babylonians and the wisdom literature of the Hebrews. One massive difference. And you find it uh, all the way through the book of Proverbs, but it's this concept of the fear of the Lord. Anybody ever heard that phrase before, the fear of the Lord? Now, in our context, when we hear the fear of the Lord, uh, we, we might have some connotations that come, come to our mind that are actually misleading. What we're not talking about when we say the fear of the Lord is being afraid of God. Uh, God actually doesn't want us to be afraid of God. He reveals himself to us as Father and invites us to know him and he wants us to be close to him and that, that he relates to us in a tender way. Jesus says it uh, this way, that like a mother hen, he wants to gather us up like his little chicks. And it's, that's just, just this beautiful uh, picture of God's love for us. And so God doesn't want us to be afraid of him, but the fear of the Lord means that we walk in light of him, that we walk and live our life knowing that he has created us, knowing that he has made us, and knowing that we are accountable to him for our lives. This is reverence for God. This is understanding that God is creator and we are creation. This is understanding that God is sovereign and we are finite. This is the fear of the Lord. And Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so if we want to walk this wise way that Paul is unpacking in Ephesians, we have to understand, as the Hebrew would have understood, that wisdom is rooted not in uh, you know, being really good at Google and knowing how to look things up on the internet and following all the right Twitter accounts, right? That wisdom is rooted in the fear of the Lord. That when we live our life and walk out our life, we do so 
in a Godward way, knowing that God is the one who has given us life and we are accountable to him. Uh, Psalms, one of the wisdom chapters in the book of Psalms is actually Psalm chapter 1. And, and the psalmist there says that, that the person uh, who, who, there's two ways you can walk. And he says the person who, who is blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, who's not being uh, given advice by wicked people. He's not standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers or mockers. Uh, that, that his delight, the, the wise person, his delight is on the law of the Lord, on God's word, on his precepts. And on that law, he meditates day and night. And the result of that type of life, the the person who says, I'm not going to go the unwise route and do life my way. I'm going to live my life God's way instead, says that he will be like a tree that is planted by streams of water and that his leaves will not wither and that he will bear fruit in season. So that the wise life is a life that doesn't go the way of the world, but instead delights in God's ways, delights in God's laws, and lives according to the way that God has set the world in motion. And so how you walk, this concept of walking in wisdom is deeply rooted in the scriptures, in the Old Testament. This is why it's important for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to be familiar with the Old Testament because it's wildly applicable to our lives today and especially as we understand the New Testament. That we understand that all of these concepts are written in God's word so that we can profit from them, so that we can live the life that God intended for us to live by God's power working within us. So God says through Paul, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise but wise, Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. This uh, phrase, making the best use of time, could also literally be translated redeeming every moment. Been a part of Mosaic for a while, you know that that's been the heartbeat of of this uh, this year, the vision of this year that we would abide in God in every moment, and that because we are connected with God, that He would use us, and that we would be able to redeem every opportunity that He's given us, that we would redeem every moment, that we would make the best use of the time. Paul says that we don't have a lot of time uh, on this planet, so let's make the best use of it. David. Uh, again, in the book of Psalms, says it this way, teach me, O God, to number my days, that my life is but a vapor of smoke. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. My my wife and I have a one and a half year old daughter. And it's interesting because when I kind of am out and about and I'll connect with people maybe at church or wherever I'm at, people will say this so often, especially those who have raised children and their children are already old, maybe adults or out of the house, Uh, They'll say, whatever you do, don't miss the time that you have with your child. Embrace it. Don't let it slip away. And the reality is it's a temptation because, man, when when you're raising a little kid, the days are very long, right? They're exhausting, okay? Um, But the phrase goes, and it's so true, that the days are long and the years are short. Um, And you wake up and all of a sudden your life is behind you. And, And Paul is saying, man, make the best use of the time. I mean, how many of you guys showed up in Orlando, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, college program, and you woke up a decade later, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, wait, what, what happened, right? Life can go so fast. 
And what Paul is saying is when we're living this wise life that is in the light and awake to God's calling, that we live a life that recognizes the fear in the fear of the Lord that our life is short, that he's given us this life and it's a precious gift. And it's not meant to be wasted away by, by Netflix binges and whatever else that we can do to just pass the time. So the way of the world is passing the time. God's way is to redeem the time. Um, in fact, as you study this out a little bit further, uh, when he says, because the days are evil, really what he's saying is that time itself is actually corrupted by sin. That, that time itself is an agent of the fall. Have you ever thought about that? That, that, that when God created Adam and Eve uh, in the Garden of Eden, they were meant to live forever. They weren't meant to die. And time became an enemy when sin came into the world. And, and, G, and, and, and God promised Adam and Eve that you will surely die when you eat from this fruit. And time became our enemy in that process. Isn't that crazy? And so when Paul says that when we, we engage and we live this wise life, that what we do is we actually redeem that time. We actually take the, the time that God has given us for this life and we use it for his glory. And that the, the, the life that we live can actually make an impact that goes beyond time and moves into eternity. This is what Jesus said when he said, don't store up for yourself treasure on earth where rust and moth will corrode, but instead store yourself up treasure in heaven. And that treasure will be eternal. It'll last forever. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. We are in a place in history right now where Jesus has come and he's lived and he's died and he's resurrected from the dead, but he has left and will one day return. We are in the place that theologians call the already, but the not yet. That Jesus has already come, but he's not yet returned. He's already paid the price for our sin, but he is not put an end to sin and death for once and for all yet. That will, on his first coming, uh, he makes a way for us to have a relationship with God. But in his second coming, he will put an end to sin and to death itself. But we live in that in between and the days are evil. And when we live this wise life that's rooted in the fear of the Lord, uh, embracing every moment and using every moment for the glory of God, then what we do is we buy back that time from evil itself. What a concept. I mean, we literally could just close in prayer right now. I feel like, like, like that, if you don't catch anything, that is massive. If we live in light of eternity, it changes everything. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I think a lot of times when we think about the will of God, and, and if you've been around Mosaic, you might've heard this before, but, but the will of God, it can be this mysterious thing this thing that we like wonder about and we aren't sure, like what is the will of God? It's really hard to know. Uh, and in fact, uh, in, in the time that Paul wrote this uh, for, for the Greek culture, they, they worshiped all these different gods. They were capricious. Uh, they were fickle. Um, you couldn't really know what they wanted. Uh, you tried your best to guess at what they wanted from you. Um, and you did all that you could to make the, the proper sacrifices at the right time. Usually it was very, uh, very vile, uh, the ways that you would have to uh, engage in worshiping of the gods. And, and, and the goal was to manipulate them into doing what you wanted them to do. 
But the gospel is so different than that. God, the one true God, uh, the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things is so different because he's not made us guess at what his will is. He's revealed it to us. He's given us his word, that he's given us revelation. He's told us about who he is. He's told us about what he's done. He's given us this book that, yeah, it's big. It can be intimidating, right? To be like, man, that's okay. That's a lot. That's a lot of words. But when we begin to become familiar with the word of God, what we begin to understand is what God is like and what he wants from his people. And what he wants from us is that we would obey him, that we would trust him, that we would believe that his way leads us to life and freedom and to recognize this foolish life that Paul is warning us against, it leads to death and destruction. And God is saying, I've revealed to you life and freedom through my word if you'll only trust me. If you'll only believe what I am telling you is true and for your good, then you will experience the life and the freedom that I desire for you. It doesn't mean our life will be rosy. It doesn't mean all of our circumstances will be easy or good. Uh, In fact, uh, one of the things God has revealed in his word is that all who desire to live a godly life will suffer trials and tribulations and persecution. (laughs) So it's not like, you know, God's like, if you do things my way, you'll always get the best parking spot. You know, if you go to the Walmart in, uh, in uh, what, what's the Avalon? What's the area or all the, all the people that live in? You could probably get a good parking spot there, right? It's like the only Walmart in the country you can find a good parking spot. It's like the nicest Walmart on earth. Um, but that's not the goal of life for God, for us, is that we would just like live a charmed existence. The goal of life for us is that we would know God and that we would make him known. And the way that we do that is we engage with his word so that we find out what the will of the Lord is for us. And yes, there are times where we might wonder what college we should go to or what job we should pursue or if we should pursue marriage or remain single or, or what, what all of those things that we ask about our particular life. And that's the specific will of God for our lives. But when we become proficient at knowing what the revealed will of God is, it's a lot easier to make some of those other choices. They begin to fall in place much more easily. And so Paul is saying, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And he gives an example of, here's what I mean by that. He's saying uh, in verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Okay, so Paul's saying, you wanna know one thing that God wants for you? Don't get drunk with wine. Don't engage in debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This do not get drunk phrase can also be translated, do not be filled with wine, but the opposite, be filled with the Spirit. So Paul is saying there are things that can fill us up and control us that will lead to destruction. Substance abuse is one example of that. Paul is not just trying to hate on wine specifically. It's like, Paul, what you got against grapes, man, you know? It's not about that. It it could be wine. It could be beer. It could be liquor. It could be uh, illicit drugs. It could be prescription drugs. It could be all sorts of things that we use to numb the pain, to control our, uh, uh, or to subdue ourselves or our emotions uh, and to to change the way we feel. It could be any of those types of things. It can also be things like pornography, where we self-medicate for our loneliness or whatever we do 
when we engage in things that will help us in the moment, but lead us toward destruction. And so Paul is saying, don't be filled up with anything. Don't be controlled by anything because that is debauchery. And debauchery is just a really terrible sounding word. Uh, I kind of like sometimes when words sound as bad as they are. You know what I mean? Like, no one, no one says, like, debauchery, you know, and it just sounds, like, pleasant. You know what I mean? It's always, like, debauchery, right? But debauchery is simply just engaging in things that give us pleasure in our senses. What we can touch, what we can taste, what we can smell. Debauchery is saying, this world, this physical world is all that matters. God is saying, I've made you so much more than just your body. I've made you in my image, to bear my image to the world around you. And so when you engage in these sensual things, overindulge in these sensual things, it's not good for you. And it will control you and it will lead you down the path of destruction. But what I want for you, son, daughter, is I want you to be controlled by the spirit of God that I've placed inside of you. That we would be filled by the spirit. Jesus said that it's actually better for us that he would leave the planet so that the Holy Spirit could be sent to us, so that we could be given the Holy Spirit. And for those of us who put our trust and faith in Jesus for salvation, he has given us his Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. But Paul says uh, in Galatians, he says, you can sow to the flesh or to the sinful nature. You can sow seeds, plant seeds to allow the sinful nature to grow in you, or you can sow to the Spirit. You can plant seeds so that the Holy Spirit will grow in you, so that we are active participants, although we have been given the Holy Spirit as a seal of our salvation, we can be active participants in engaging with the Holy Spirit in our lives so that he fills us up, so that he controls us. So Paul says, don't be filled with wine, that's debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then verse 19, he says, and here's how you can do that. Here is one way, one really important way that God has given us to sow to the Spirit or to ask the Spirit to fill us up, to engage in ways with the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, so that we will be filled by him and thereby controlled by him. This is one of the ways, verse 19 He says, come together, come together. Listen to what he says. He says, addressing one another, one another. So we can't do this by ourselves. You know, I always get skeptical when people are like, yeah, I love Jesus. I'm all about my faith. I love God's word, but I'm not about the church. You can't be filled by the spirit in the way that Paul is unpacking here by yourself. We need one another. And I get it when people are skeptical about religion or organized religion, that sort of thing. But we need the church. And it was Jesus' idea to establish the church, not mine. (laughs) He said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So if you want to flourish in relationship with God, you can't do it on your own. Some of you maybe have experienced that, like coming from wherever you grew up, moving to Orlando, being like, this is a big uh, city. A lot of people, a lot of craziness going around. And man, I'm spiritually dying without community. Thank God you found Mosaic at WDW. And this is why we do what we do is because the church matters. So we address one another. And and Eric talked about this as we were worshiping uh, tonight. He said, hey, this is, and I can't say it as well as he said it. So just remember back to that moment. 
But this is the opportunity that when we address one another by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot here, and I'm going to just hit a couple of these, these things. When we sing... We are addressing one another because as the words are coming out of our mouth collectively when we gather for worship, we are all hearing what other people are saying and being reminded of the truth of the gospel. This is why, Mosaic, when we sing songs, we choose songs that are theologically rich in content, that tell true things about God. It's not just like we're going to sing a loop of the same line over and over again to make ourselves feel really good. The goal is to extol and magnify the God of the universe within the midst of our community so that we could be encouraged with who God is and what he has done for us and what the gospel is. So when Paul says we're addressing one another, that's what he's saying. We're reminding each other of the gospel. But our worship is not directed towards each other. Like I'm not, I'm not singing to Eric, right? I mean, you know, you got that sweet country voice I love, but I'm not singing to you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and you're not singing to me. But we're singing in community to God, that we are worshiping God, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts. Now, I love that concept of of making melody with our hearts. Now, this is the Disney campus, and one of the things I love about the Disney campus is you guys know how to make melody with your voices and harmony, about like nine parts. It's beautiful. Like I love like hearing the Disney campus sing. You go to Winter Garden, Mosaic Winter Garden, and it's like nine parts of something, but it ain't harmony, okay? And it's not melody most of the time. It's like, man, I just put in-ears in, you know what I'm saying? And just listen, no, I'm just kidding. But the goal here is not just singing beautifully, and maybe this is actually, maybe this is a moment where you can kind of stop and just hear this, a loving like encouragement. Maybe you're singing sometimes because you like the sound of your own voice because God has gifted you to sing beautifully. But what God really wants is for you to make melody with your heart. So I'm just gonna lay that, lay that out there and let anyone take that who wants it. But, but here's the goal, is that we would engage in a, a spiritual uh, experience, worshiping God, but in community with one another. And when we do that, guess what happens? The Spirit of God fills us up. The Spirit of God fills us up so that we can be thankful always and in everything. Do you know how hard that is? Just think about that. How hard is it to live a life on this earth where our lead pastor, Renault, often lovingly refers to it as planet death, right? We got, it's 2020 for God's sakes. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody be hating on 2020. There's a global pandemic, racial injustice galore, right? Uh, There is division on division on division politically. Uh, People are on fire everywhere you go. This has been a bad year. There's literally, there are literally wildfires. There are, there are natural disasters. This is one of the worst hurricane seasons we've had in forever. I mean, the world is a mess. The days are evil, Amen. But Paul is saying, listen, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying that when we get together and we're filled up by the Spirit, it teaches us to be people who are thankful always and in everything. It's really hard. Paul says in Philippians, I have learned the secret of being content 
in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether well or sick, whether in poverty or in wealth, I've learned the secret of being content, that I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Man, what an invitation. So that when we come together, we are being filled up by the Holy Spirit as we sing these songs and hymns and spiritual songs with one another, making melody to the Lord in our heart. And it teaches us to be people who are thankful always and for everything. Man, what a beautiful invitation. So when we worship, remember this. It is not something that we do so that we can warm up to hear the preaching. Okay? That's not the goal. And the guy who is preaching is telling you this. Like, like this thing that's happening right now is not some sort of main event. Like this show you showed up at. And uh, though we do have an RSVP form, it's not like, like, you know, you go get tickets and you show up at this thing to be entertained. Like, like Eric was saying earlier, we're different than the world. We're not just singing our favorite songs uh, in a concert. That we're here together and we are worshiping God and we're encouraging one another. So we're not doing this to just warm up to hear the preaching. We're not doing this just so the artsy people among us who do sing great harmonies uh, can enjoy themselves for a few minutes while they have to suffer through the guy with the microphone talking for so long, right? It's not something that we do so that we can showcase people's talent. That's not the goal of this. Yes, God has gifted people and it's beautiful to make excellent noise and worship and and, and melodies to God. Probably shouldn't call it noise, but it's a beautiful thing when people do that with excellence and do that well and, and use the gifting and talent that God has given them, but it's, the goal is not showcasing talent. But what it is when we come together, it is an opportunity for us to worship God, who is our Father, to, to, to respond to God calling us and saying, son, daughter, come close to me. I, I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want to to have fellowship with you. I want to connect with you. We do this because when we come together and we worship God, our Father enjoys our presence and we can enjoy the presence of our Father. When we come together and we worship, we worship towards Jesus the Son. We sing about Jesus a lot. You may have noticed that. Because Jesus the Son, the second person of the Trinity, came and lived. He he condescended from heaven. He took on human flesh. He dwelt among us. He suffered. He was tempted in every way, but he was without sin. And then he died on the cross so that we could be made right with God, so that we could have eternal life, and so that we could be joined with him in the mission of God to renew this earth. And, And he deserves our praise and worship. He deserves honor and glory and praise and thanksgiving. He has won the victory. He is the king. And we worship him together. And we do this because the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us is crying out, Abba, Father. And when we worship God, the Holy Spirit is pointing us to the Father through the Son. And together as we worship, we are being filled by the Spirit so that we can live a life that God has called us to live. And finally, what this does, when we live this life that is full of wisdom, when we begin to understand what the will of the Lord is, when we begin to be controlled by the Spirit instead of uh, by, by substance or our idols, and we are moved into community where we remind ourselves of who God is and what the gospel is when we worship God together, the next thing that happens is that we love one another so well that we begin to submit to one another. That's that final verse 21, that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Man, we live in a world where all we want to do is fight with one another, assert ourselves over one another, prove our point, make people think that we have it all figured out. 
But what the gospel calls us to by the power of the Holy Spirit is to do what Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed with his disciples who he knew were about to desert them, desert him. At his uh, most dire hour, they all fled and they ran. But before that happened, Jesus kneels down uh, at the Last Supper and he washes his disciples' feet. The God of the universe who they didn't even deserve to know or be in the same room with him. But the God of the universe who John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals, right? He kneeled down and he washed his disciples' feet. And when he was done, he said, I've set an example for you. Now go and do likewise. So tonight, everyone take off your shoes. We're gonna do a foot washing ceremony. No, I'm just kidding. Nobody wants to see my feet. I got like bunions. My toes be pointing like this. It's not pretty. Nobody wants to see that. But metaphorically speaking, metaphorically speaking, What we have the opportunity to do when we come together is to live our lives in such a way that looks like mutual submission, where we say, I'm gonna consider you better than myself. And the other person looks back and says, well, I'm gonna consider you better than myself. And then the world looks in on that and says, what is happening? Because the way of the world is to assert your position, assert your, th- your authority, to get the best life that you can possibly get. And what Jesus says is lay it down. The greatest among you will be your servant. So this life of reconciliation and renewal, we get to step into controlled by the spirit in the midst of community, submitting to one another and loving one another well. And God says that is the life that I designed you to live. So let's do that. Let's do that, not in our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit as he continually fills us up as we gather together. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you invite us uh, to redeem every moment. God, you invite us uh, to engage in what you are doing uh, in our lives, that you invite us uh, to be filled by the Spirit, not to be controlled by other things like wine or, or, or uh, any other substance or any other idol that we may uh, look to for comfort in this life. But instead, you invite us to come together as your church, uh, whether, whether uh, we come in a physical way or we uh, experience even this time of worship together online. God, you invite us to allow this to be a space where we are filled by your spirit as we sing songs that are true about you, as we open up your word, and as we dive into the revelation that you've given us, God, you fill us up with your spirit so that we can go out and redeem the time and live every moment for your name and for your glory. God, tonight, I I don't know um, where everyone is at in this room. God, I know that you know, that you see, that you know exactly where each one of us stands tonight. And God, that you're inviting us to take that next step closer to you, that you're inviting us to say yes to your way of life, to to live that wise life, a life that is full of the fear of the Lord, and that that would be the beginning of wisdom. And God, that this life that we live would be, uh, God, that we would be controlled by your spirit, that you would fill us up, that you would make us more like you, so that we can love you well and that we can love one another well. 
And as people look in on our community, they would say, oh, so that is what God is like. That the manifold wisdom of God would be made known through your church in us. God, we thank you for that privilege. We thank you for that opportunity. And we pray all of these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.